Right to be read podcast, episode number 129. Interview with Bruno Lagreca. You are listening to the Right to be Read podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello there and welcome to the Right to be Read podcast, the podcast that inspires and encourages writers. It's me, Annie Alexander, and as always, thank you so much for listening to the show, for all the feedback you're providing, for the emails, for the Facebook messages. I truly, truly enjoy this community and it's really nice uh, getting emails saying that you actually wrote and published your first book. It really makes my day and I'm really Really, really proud of each of you who've done that and all the rest who are in the process now. So in order to make the relationship with you even deeper and connect on a higher level and increase our engagement, I have decided, as I mentioned in the previous episode, to use Blab. Blab is actually a live streaming platform where four people can be on video and talk to each other and unlimited number of viewers can view the the conversation and actually participate in the chat and also hop on when one of the seats is open. So we've been doing this for a while it's working really great it's a very nice platform to create audience to connect with uh, different people and to actually create content so i've been there for a while i really really encourage you to get on blab and to connect with me and to follow my uh, discussions uh, because like that we will first of all see each other second talk to each other and also you will have the opportunity to talk to my podcast guests which is a big plus too I think because I'm planning to get even more and uh, really nice guests for the show so if you would like to join us on blab please follow me there at annialexander.com backward slash blab and I'm there at least once a day I am trying to schedule a blab a day on different topics around book marketing, self-publishing, writing, and any other things that we usually discuss on the podcast. Uh, we will also have guests over. So just, you know, join me and, and let's create even deeper connection and increase our engagement together. So let's get to the uh, interview I've done for today. And this interview is more like a self-development crash course or a life coaching, I guess, because today we will mainly be talking about how to stop sabotaging our life and how to actually reach our full potential. So let's start the interview now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Right to be Read podcast. Uh, today, my guest is Bruno Logreco. Did I pronounce it well? You did? Very well. Okay, good. He is master life coach, mentor, and author. And I was just looking at his book, which is called Stop, Stop Sabotaging Your Life, Three Steps to Your Full Potential, just before the interview. And uh, since the topic kind of, you know, is very interesting, and we have many writers, including me at certain point, who sabotage themselves and their writing career by telling different uh, stories for, to themselves, which not necessarily are right. 
I would like to talk about that. But before we start, I just want to find out why did you actually uh, decide to write a book? Okay. Well, I think I've always wanted to write a book. I think the very first time I said I'm going to write a book was at age 16. In fact, I was at a club and I was with my friend Carlos and just out of the blue, I said, one day I'm going to write a book. And, uh, you know, th that was as, uh, as young as I was. Now, did I know what I was going to write about when I was 16? Probably not. In fact, I didn't realize what the book was going to be about until I hit 30. So about 16 years after I blurted out that one day I'm going to write a book, I finally started writing the book. And the reason why I started writing the book was I felt that as a life coach, not that I didn't have already credibility, um, I felt that having a book that substantiated my message or my theory or how I do my work would add, add credibility to my name um, as well as my work. So, you know, to answer your question, long and short, I said I was going to write a book at age 16. It took me 16 years to get there. And even after I decided to write the book about my methodology, it took another five years. So, you know, from age 16, and I don't know what year that was, it was a long time ago, um, I finally published my book in November of 2012. Okay, so I presume this is your first book, right? Uh, it, was, yeah, it was my first real book, yes, but I, I actually published two books. Uh, one is kind of like a kind of like a mini book, uh, like a pocket book that you can just carry around with you to help you build confidence. Um, so I actually do have two books, but one of them is really what I consider a real book. You know, when you start off with 400 pages and it gets scaled down to 180, it's a real book. <laughs> okay, I see. So, uh, I mean, since you're not really like, you know, I mean, since writing is not your main career and you're not only a writer. Uh, what was the most difficult part in writing a book? Because I, I've been approached by many people who are saying, okay, you know, I have the idea, I want to write a book, I don't know where to start. So how did you find out where to start and what to do? What is, was it easy or not? It, it, okay, so it, it was easy and then it was not easy. So let's talk about the hard part. So being a writer, I am a writer, uh, you know, as a life coach, you know, one of the things that we have to do is write, we have to communicate, you know, what it is that we do and how we help people. Um, so I think we're all writers to some degree. And if we're not, and we're a life coach, then we need to become one. So the hardest part for me to become a writer or to write my book was actually being okay with my, with my work being in public domain and public eyes. There was always a fear that maybe I wasn't making sense or maybe that I, um, you know, that it wasn't what I was talking about within the, I guess the pages of my book, um, that everyone knew, like what I was saying was common sense. And so if it was common sense, then why am I writing this? So there was a little bit of hesitation, whether or not I had something of value to write about and whether people were going to identify with what that message was. That wasn't so much the hard part. The hard part was, not being a, a, a fluid writer or very strong in my communication skills, specifically writing, was if I write something and put it out there, will people judge it? So, for example, when I wrote my book, I started off with blog posts. So, you know, I actually can, I started off writing one post a day that would eventually turn into my book. It was those blog posts, um, you know, the pages of my book that I was very apprehensive. I was nervous. I, I, I felt like I was going to be judged by my potential clients, especially when your blog is hindi or, uh, hanging off your website. Um, you know, there's a little bit of apprehension because you don't want people to think that you're stupid or that you're dumb 
um, that you don't make any sense, and specifically, more importantly, when you're relying on your website to draw in traffic, to draw in clients. So the hardest part was for me to write my book, which was originally blog posts, was being confident enough to put my stuff out there and not worry about the judgment and criticism. Yeah, I mean, actually, um, that's very common. I mean, many, many people, uh, actually, I have a feeling that all writers go through that stage and some of them are, you know, still in that stage, basically, when uh, you have this fear of actually sharing your stories and sharing what you have written, because uh, you are afraid of many things, like you, you are afraid to be rejected, to be criticized, you are afraid that people won't like your book, and, uh, and things like that, which is kind of, you know, I guess it's... Um, I mean, my solution how to overcome that uh, as far as I, I, I found it based on my experience is actually to project what would be my reaction and my uh, kind of, you know, answer to when I get that and emotionally prepare to that. So actually what I'm doing usually is I'm getting prepared for the worst case scenario and uh, so uh, what was your approach? I mean, how did you actually overcome that fear? Because you apparently did. Uh, how, yes. how, how did you do that? I took a bit of my own advice. So often I tell people when they're afraid of being judged or criticized um, and there's that fear that stops them or sabotages their success, you know, because they're more concerned about how other people perceive them or the judgment and criticism of other people. I often tell them that anyone that's going to judge or criticize you it's a reflection of who they are. So all they're going to do is um, project out what their insecurities are. So if they're insecure about their writing skills or the way they speak or the way they communicate their message and they find a mistake with mine that they identify with, then they're going to judge it and they're going to criticize it. So what I did was I took a, a page out of my own book and I decided not to worry so much about people judging me because if they did, it was just a reflection of who they were anyhow. Um, not indicative of who I am or what I'm trying to communicate in terms of my book. Um, so I really let go and decided that anytime you put messages out there, you're going to piss people off. You're going to you know, make somebody unhappy. You're going to be subjected to criticism. And that's the whole part of you know, being an author and being a life coach or you know, anything where you're putting yourself out in the public eye. You're going to be open to criticism. And what I did was rather than expect the worst, I didn't go down that path. I just decided that I didn't really care about the people that were going to criticize me. You know, come, let it happen, and you know what? I'll turn a blind eye to it and continue on on my merry path. Okay, I see. So, <laughs> so actually, you self-published that book, right? Or you have a publisher? You self-published it. Okay. Uh, I self-published, but it was a combination of self-publishing slash publisher. So I used a self-publishing uh, publisher, if you will. Uh, at the beginning and then I pulled it from them and then I went on my own which I kind of regret um, you know so I think that I may go back to a self-publishing publisher okay yeah I see so basically mm -hmm. um, when you actually launched the book which were your expectations? I mean, what I mean, what were you looking for? Like, you know, what was like the best that could happen and what was the real result? Well, I guess the expectation or the wishful thinking was that I would probably sell, you know, I was looking for like at least 10, 20 books a day 
on Amazon. That would have made me very happy. Uh, you know, after the initial launch where I did sell, you know, over 200 copies, uh, what the, the, I guess the reality came down to it was maybe four or five a month, <laughs> you know, because you have to market it. And anytime you sell publish, you, you got to spend equal amount of time to promoting your book as you did writing the book. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess my expectations and my reality uh, were a major conflict because I was really, you know, I thought that, you know, people should know who I am, uh, you know, in my, in Toronto, you know, where, where I'm originally from. Um, you know, I got quite a little bit of presence online. So I just assumed that, you know, with a little bit of <laughs> exposure, it should work, right? Doesn't everything, you know, what was that saying, you know, uh, created and they shall come or put it out there and, you know, people will buy it. It's not so much the case. I <laughs> know, uh, not at all. Well, actually, uh, I will tell you. Actually, uh, even with traditional publishers these days, <laughs> writers do need to market the book anyway. So it's not very big difference, to be honest, in that respect. Uh, and yes, I mean, if it's out there and you don't really work on marketing it and actually pushing it uh, forward. Um, you know, uh, with the time, it just dry, the sales dry out and it becomes um, quite invisible. And that's how it is. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to the topic of the book, because I think it's kind of, you know, very important and it will, uh, it, it will actually um, also solve different issues of writer's doubts, writer's block and insecurities and different mental you know, uh, states which keep writers from actually becoming authors. And I would like to talk about that. So when you say stop sabotaging your life, what do you mean in your book? Well, I think I mean three things. So in the book, I'm talking about stop sabotaging, stop sabotaging your life and, and, and the first phase, which is, you know, become aware of your limiting beliefs. You know, what are those narratives that we have in our mind that stop us from writing a book or pursuing our goals or really achieving our full potential. You know, what does that sound like? So to me, stop sabotaging your life. It comes in threefold. Number one is what are those narratives? What are those limiting beliefs? Those, those little noises, uh, critiques that you got going in your head that stop you from moving forward. You know, is it the fear, you know, you know, like I had, you know, why am I writing this book? You know, what I'm writing about is common sense. Who's going to identify to it? What's the point of writing this, you know, this book? You know, so there's all those thoughts, right? Then there's the other thoughts that I had too. Like, you know, what if someone thinks I'm a fraud? You know, what if I can't convey my message concisely? You know, what if people misunderstand what I'm trying to convey in the book? So there was a whole different fear that took play, which is a lot of self-doubt. My inability to be concise and to communicate exactly what I want to put out there. So there was that fear. And then there was the whole commitment part. Wow, writing a book is a, you know, it's a, it's an overwhelming task, right? It's a monumental task. It can take anywhere from, you know, one year to a three-year proposition. So there was the whole, there was the whole self-doubt, you know, do I have it in me to follow through on this monumental goal and then put it out there? You know, so there was a little bit of lack of self-doubt in, in, in all those three regards. Um, so, so that's what I mean about, you know, stop sabotaging life. Are you aware of the things that are holding you back that, that is stopping you from achieving your potential? Are you aware of the narratives? Are you aware of your fears and are you aware of your self doubt? 
So what I make, what I make my readers aware of in part one of the book is you have to undo the doing. You can't change what you can't see. Um, and so before you continue to sabotage your success, your happiness, your potential, your relationships, you have to really understand how you think and why you think that way. You know, one of my sabotaging beliefs way back when, when I was 18, was that I'd never amount to nothing. And I truly believed this, 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 this idea, this narrative that I had in my head. And, you know, it was simply because somebody implanted that thought into my head at a very young age. Not one person, but two people. And so no matter what I always want to do, I always had this narrative in my head that I wouldn't amount to nothing. No matter what I tried, I would never succeed. And so most of my goals that I ever tried to accomplish as a child, I wouldn't get to the end state because I believed that there was no point, that I was not good enough to see it through to the end. So I had this little thing going on in my head, um, and I need to become aware of where that came from. And then once I start to realize, actually it wasn't me that made me realize that I wrote this in my book. There was an individual that substantially changed my life at the age of 19, probably 18 or 19. Um, and it, I had applied for a computer technical support analyst for a computer company, computer manufacturer. And I think I had to gift a gap. I mean, I can really talk a good talk. Um, and I sold myself to the point where I actually did get the job. So on the first day of me working at this company, um, I was being trained by a real computer technical engineer. And when you are lying through your teeth about who you are and what you're capable of, um, and here's this individual that has proven himself, has gone through school, is very well educated, knows exactly what he's talking about, and he's training you, and he's actually twice your age, you feel like a complete fraud. Like you feel like, a, like an imposter, and it's just a matter of time, like a matter of seconds before someone catches on. So before somebody caught on, I quit that job. I wanted to get the hell out of there before anybody figured out that I had lied about my interview, uh, had lied about my education, um, and I quit. I went for lunch and never went back. Well, about two hours after that, uh, the director who had hired me called me back and asked me where I was and why I hadn't I returned from lunch. So I kind of explained to him that I wasn't qualified for the job and I wasn't returning. And he said to me, would you please come into the office? I definitely want to speak with you. So I said, okay, fine. And off I went back to the office. And back when I was 18, 19, the cell phones were the big ones, the big monster cell phones. <laughs> uh, but anyway, suffice to say, I went back and he says, okay, bro, so now explain to me why you want to quit. And so, oh, Randy, I'm not qualified. You know, I dropped out of you know, school. I dropped out of CDI college. I got kicked out. Um, anything I can possibly say to get myself out of this job. I didn't want the job anymore because I felt like a complete incompetent fool, uh, inadequate at that role. And then he says this to me. He says to me, hey, Bruno, you know, it's very clear to me that you don't have your own control. What is clear to me is that somebody implanted a message in your mind that has your control. If I were you, I would start to challenge that thought you have in your mind, and I would take back control over the people that implanted those thoughts. Because if you don't, the people that implanted that thought in your head, they will put you inside of a box, and you will live there, limiting your level of success for the rest of your life. So if I were you, I'd get out there and make it happen. So long story short, I mean, I didn't get into, I didn't need to get into this big long story with you, but the gist of the story was that this individual made me aware that I had this limiting belief in my head that said that I would never amount to nothing. And it was him that made me aware of that, that went, oh my God, I can't believe I've been living through that, that narrative for almost 20 years at that point. And it changed, okay? 
And that's pretty, pretty much the premise of my book. Like in part one of my book, it's really, you can't change what you can't see. You have to become aware of these thoughts and why they're there. And if somebody implanted those thoughts in your head, not you specifically, then you need to take back control over those people. Because if you don't, they will control you to the day you die. Okay, so um, to to actually conclude and kind of, you know, see whether I understood it correct or not. So basically, if I'm someone who is not self-confident about my writing and I'm not sure if I have a talent, if what I'm writing is crap or not, and, you know, whether people will actually read it and if, whether it's worth reading at all, um, I end up realizing... Uh, what I'm telling myself, what what I'm thinking about myself, where does it come from? And I start kind of reversing the thing and canceling it out and putting the new story instead. Yeah, pretty much. It's become, yeah, pretty much. It's becoming aware that, hey, but that thought's not, not really my thought. And I do believe in myself or I am confident or have faith in my abilities. You know what? I know I can do it. That thought isn't real. You know, I have to trust myself and have faith in my abilities that, yes, I can do it. So, yes, it's understanding. It's challenging that thought. It's knowing where it came from and factualizing it. Is it true or false? Well, no, it's not. It's not true. How can anybody tell you what you're capable of doing, what you're capable of achieving? They don't okay. know who you are. Okay. So, let's let's talk about this. I mean, let's say uh, I have all these dots. Uh, I realize that I have them and I have to change those. But somehow, I mean, I'm in a situation where I don't really have people around me who encourage me and who kind of prove me wrong. So I basically don't really have any proof around me saying that, no, what you're thinking is wrong and your writing is really good or, you know, anything that kind of I can rely on to to, as a stepping stone to actually start changing the, my mindset and thinking about the new story which I need to tell myself. So how do you deal with that in that case? If you don't have this external support, where do you tap into and where do you get it from? Yeah, your inner self. And this is why, you know, journaling is such an amazing tool, specifically when you don't have support or people around you that can give you these kind of tips and make you aware of what's going on. When you journal and you start writing out your thoughts, your limiting beliefs, there's something profound that happens where you connect with your true self at the core. Your, I call it the inner child, your, your pure um, spiritual soul. You're connecting with that, that, that being. And so when you journal and you start writing out your limiting beliefs, what actually comes through is the counter. So you write down, you know, I'm not good enough. You know, uh, I have the, you know, like, I'm not a good writer. You know, maybe I'm going to be judged, whatever. When you start writing these things down, you tap into the most important thing. And what's going to start happening automatically is you're going to start to counter that. You're going to hear that I'm not good enough. And the true part of you is going to come on and go, well, you know what? That's not true. I never said that to myself. You know what? That wasn't my own thought. Maybe somebody told me that, or maybe a teacher told me I wasn't good enough, or maybe my parents said something, you know, uh, less than than than, than nice, uh, or it was conditional. When you start to journal, you put you start to see things very objectively. You're able to look at things that people implanted in your brain, and you're able to counter it with real, true uh, feelings that you have about your specific skills. So to answer your, your question, is journaling is an amazing tool that has been proven. There's studies time and time again that suggest that if you journal, it will actually help you. It will build your confidence. You'll be able to see things and work things out on your own without having your support system. So to answer the question, without a doubt, it's journaling. 
Okay, yeah, well, and from my part, I would add that journaling actually is an excellent way to boost your creativity and kind of, you know, enhance your writing skills and things like that. So basically, you know, especially for writers, these can actually shoot two rabbits at the same time. So (laughs) it's there's something profound that really happens when you journal. I always, you know, it's 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 not so much journaling. Something profound always happens when you come back to yourself, when you're able to, whether it's meditate, whether it's journaling, whether it's breathing, whatever tool you use to reconnect with oneself, that's when things happen. That's when the most profound, you have the most profound experiences because you start to connect with your true self and your true self comes through and it starts to overcome these objectives, objections very easily. So it really is reconnecting with self through whatever means, journaling, breathing, uh, you know, meditating, asking yourself the profound questions and hearing yourself very clearly to get the answer that you really need to move yourself forward. I mean, I can't tell you, I have so many different stories about me experiencing fear, uncertainty, you know, like being a life coach, uh, you know, like in the first three years of my profession, it was very tough. And I remember that I had a mortgage, I had car payments, I had a credit card, you name it, I had it all. And I wasn't getting many clients. And I remember looking into the mirror, making eye contact with myself, like directly in the mirror. And I said, okay, you got to tell me what to do because right now I'm at a loss. I'm right at the point where I want to give up, quit, and run back to corporate world because I can't make it happen. Please just give me the answer. And because I was looking at myself directly in the eye, the answer that I got back, and you have to listen very carefully, was keep doing what you're doing. Keep Twittering, keep Facebooking, keep YouTubing, and things will change. And lo and behold, within a month and a half to two months after that, that, that profound exchange that I had with myself, things changed drastically. Now, I've been a professional life coach for almost 20 years, and you know what? I live a pretty good life. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have no doubts for that. Okay, so basically, uh, I think this will work very well with writers too because we, we always talk to ourselves in our mind anyway, to ourselves, to our characters and stuff like that. So we, we're, we're a bit weird. So basically, you know, going back and talking to yourself can actually, you know, bring in um, that support that we lack around oh, us yeah. probably. Okay, so let's get to your subtitle of the book, which says three steps to your full potential. So let's start from what is a full potential and how do you find out that you're not at your full potential yet? Or when you get to that full potential, how do you realize that you're there already? It's very easy. To achieve your, three, to achieve your full potential, you have to meet three criteria. okay? And it's quite simple. Any objection, or not objection, objective, a goal, a task, anything that you're working on, if it satisfies these three criteria, you'll be well on your path to achieving your full potential. One, you, sorry guys, if, you, if you're seeing my hands, I'm full of pain. I'm actually doing, I've been renovating since August 17th. So in between client sessions, I'm actually out there painting. I probably have pain on my head too, on my hair. But anyway, uh, so three things you have to look at, okay? One, you have to make sure that you leverage your innate abilities. And I'm not talking a skill that you learn. For example, I used to work with Johnson Johnson, and I was the lead negotiator. So my job was to go out and negotiate service contract or uh, IT services uh, in foreign countries like India and China. So I was amazing at it, but it was not an innate ability. I worked my tail off, which meant I was up all night, all hours of the night trying to figure out my strategy, my negotiation strategies. You know, I was trying to learn about the economy of whomever I was negotiating against. I would learn everything about their economy. 
it was constant learning, 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 strategizing, manipulating, and trying to do whatever you can to save the company big bucks, um, to reduce our overhead and to pay back the, the shareholders. And it would always leave me empty because that, that, that strength that I had, it wasn't a strength. It, I mean, yeah, I was good at negotiating. But was it, what I was really good at was beating up, beating up the vendors uh, with the club and getting exactly what the company wanted. That's what I was really good at. It wasn't innate. I had to study. I had to practice. I had to prepare, prepare, prepare. Where when I found life coaching and psychology, the moment I picked up a psychology book um, and started reading the concepts of psychology and personal development, specifically psychosocial development, what I recognized was, oh, my God, I knew that. Oh, my God, I know that. It was very innate. So the strength of psychology to me was almost like second nature. I didn't have to study a book to understand psychology. I needed to study a psychology book to understand the principles, the terminology, the, 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 I guess the, the language that they use uh, in psychology. That's why I studied it. But the actual strength in helping people was innate to me. So, again, to achieve your full potential, the very first step is you've got to know your innate ability. And you have to be honest with yourself. And if you minimize or downplay who you are, you'll never find that strength. Okay. The second component to achieving your full potential is you got to know your core values. Your core values, I often say core values are like underneath the surface, like an iceberg. Who you are is not what's above the ocean. It's what's below the ocean, that big iceberg. That's what we're talking about, core values. When you tap into your core values, you really know what's important to you. You know what motivates you. I'm a highly creative person and highly passionate person. It was like what you were saying, Annie, before we started coming on, before we got on Blab, you said that you got out of the corporate world because it was not, you were not passionate about it and you want to do something that you were passionate for. And if you're not passionate for all these things that you're working on, then what's the point of doing it? You might as well go back to the corporate world. And that was exactly who I am. I'm very passionate. I'm highly creative and I'm very intuitive. When I say intuitive, I can pick up on people's energy. And based on your facial expression, it's called metacognitive. I recognize behavioral expressions. I can intuitively figure out exactly what you're struggling with. Okay? So knowing your core values, I'm creative. I'm intuitive. I have to be passionate. I'm a free bird, by the way. Okay? So part of me being creative <laughs> is that I think out loud. And when I create, I create out loud, meaning that everybody can see what I'm creating. And if it doesn't work out, tough bananas, right? It's like me painting a wall. Don't ask me to pick a color of the wall. I have to wait until I put the color on the wall to determine whether I like it or not. So I might go through three different colors to find the right color, but I'm, I, that's how I think. And, and that's how I express myself. So knowing your innate abilities and your core values, putting them together already gives you one step forward in achieving your full potential. For example... When you know your strengths and your core values, you can put them together to create an empowerment statement. So, for example, yeah, I'm a life coach, and yes, my name is Bruno Greco, but I'm a creative, intuitive problem solver, okay? That's who I really am. That's what happens when you put your strength and your core value together. The last component to achieve your full potential is you got to know your needs. Your needs are your motivators. Let me give you an example. If you grew up hungry, or if you grew up and maybe mom went to work all day, dad was working all day, and there was no one home for you to do things for and to make them feel proud of your achievement, okay? Hypothetically, if that ever happened, and by the way, it's nobody's fault if that did happen. Everyone does the best they can with tools that were given to them, so we're not looking to blame. But if there's nobody there, there could be 
a sense or hunger for you to get validation, needing somebody to tell you that you're a good person, needing that, you know, that, that inclusion, encouragement, support, whatever the case may be. That's what happens when we don't get it as a kid. Now, as an adult, do you really still need that? Not so much, but we don't think about this. Okay. So what happens is we abandon our true goals to pursue a task that we do, that we work on, and we'll do it really quickly because we know that if we successfully achieve it, someone will give us encouragement, support, or something that we're looking for. Okay, but it's short term, it's short lived, and it's in this, and it only happens in a small little task that we're making other people happy for. Okay, recognizing this validation that you need this validation when you leverage your strengths to express a core value to satisfy your need. Okay. Now that need is going to be satisfied in a very constructive way. So for example, I am that kid. Okay. I am that kid that wants to make people proud. So now rather than going and looking for it, when I affect positive change with my clients and their life changes substantially, they come back and tell me how I changed their life and how grateful they are to have met me. Now that need is satisfied quietly. I don't have to go looking for it. I don't have to go asking for it. Just by the mere fact that I'm leveraging my strengths, expressing my core values, it's satisfying my need. And guess what? I'm on the path to achieving, if not already achieving, my full potential. Okay? Now, I want people to recognize that your potential is layered. Okay? And every seven years, who we are drastically changes. We go through a, physio -meta a metaphysical change every seven years. Literally, our cells renew. How we think is different. You know, just the way our perception, the way we perceive life is vastly different. So even though you've achieved your potential today, if you're not evolving, if you're not growing as a human being, once you hit that mark, even though you've already hit your potential, you'll feel like you're stuck and you're stagnant. So you're constantly, even though you've achieved your potential, you now have to grow and evolve it so that way you go to the next level of achieving your full potential, whatever that may be. Okay? okay. So long story short, in order for you to really achieve your potential, you have to have three criteria in play. One, you have to leverage your strengths. Two, you have to express your core values. And three, you must satisfy your needs. Okay? So setting a goal or an objective has to take has to consider those three variables. Okay. So if we try to conclude everything we learned, because that was kind of really intense. <laughs> so uh, what do we say? We say that actually we have to become self-aware and we actually have to go through all these three steps to find the full potential. And um, I guess uh, if you add also the things that we always tell writers in terms of, you know, write every day and, you know, find your core message and know why you are writing and who you are writing for, Actually, uh, adding all these up, we can say that most probably um, that would be the starting point to move from sabotaging your life to becoming a successful author. Yeah, pretty much. Um, if you do exactly that, you know why you're writing, what your message is, you know, you're really honing in on your strengths. You know, you're recognizing what's important to you and you're communicating that, then yeah, there's no reason why you shouldn't achieve your full potential, right? The trick, the full potential is it's, it's recognizing and having faith and confidence in your innate abilities, okay? So for example, you know, like if we look at like, a, a, like a, an amazing writer, let's pick a writer, um, uh, uh, I don't know, let's pick a writer. 
that writer believes and has confidence in their abilities, right? Let's, let's pick, let's pick, uh, um, Malcolm Gladwell. There we go. I love Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. He has confidence in, in what he's writing. He knows that he has the a gift in using words to lure people into his thought process where they're identifying with his thought process and that they believe what he's saying. He knows this. He innately understands that he has this skill set. And so he uses it. Okay. And he writes according to that skill set. That's the key. It, it truly is, is, is believing and having faith that you have a skill and then fostering it, working towards it. So a writer, you have to believe that you, whatever message that you're trying to convey and the words that you're choosing to convey that message, you have to believe and have confidence in yourself that you're doing it correctly. Okay. Because if there's any self doubt at all, any self doubt, you know, and this is why I don't, you know, I, I love people and I love friends and I love family and then I don't love them at all. Okay. You know, oftentimes when we, oftentimes when we're in a state of self doubt, we, we're not trusting ourselves. Maybe we don't like what we wrote. Maybe we're not being articulate enough, whatever the case may be. We always go to a friend or a family member and we go, Hey, what do you think? Do you like this? Read this. Give us your feedback. And more often than not, they always validate exactly what we want to hear. It's good. Oh, don't worry. It's great. You're, you're overthinking it. You're being tough on yourself. You're being a perfectionist, whatever, so on and so forth. Friends always tell us what we need to hear, not what we not. They tell us what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. Okay. The only person that is going to know whether or not truthfully what you wrote down with the words that you chose to use to write that thought, the only person that knows if it's good enough is who you got it. Okay. Cause you have to understand you're in a thought process and it's whatever thought process you're in that determines the words that you're choosing to convey that message. Right. And it's not just one chapter. It's like chapter after chapter. And so asking a friend to read one specific area and get their feedback, they're not in the same mindset as you and, and stringing the whole book together. Do you know what I'm saying? So they're only going to give you what you want to hear in that moment, not what you need to hear. I always say that you have to trust yourself. There has to be an unconditional self-trust in oneself to be successful. There, there's no other way. If you look at the most arrogant people, let's look at Donald Trump right now. I mean, he doesn't have a leg to stand on. I'm sorry if there's any Republicans online. He doesn't, and, and this is we're talking about American politics. But he has such a belief that he is, you know, next best thing, next to sliced bread, that he is convincing himself that he's presidential. When the majority of us will look, I don't know if it's the majority, but when some of us will look back and go, wow, he doesn't have any talent whatsoever. He could care less what I think. He could care less what the next person thinks. And he can care less what any tabloid or any pundit says about his credentials. He's so self-assured that he's presidential that he's going he's gonna to do what he's going to do. And that's how we have to look at it as authors. We have to put away this fear of judgment, this fear of criticism of what other people will think. And we have to trust ourselves that we have the ability to convey whatever message we want to convey. Okay. That's the only way we're ever going to build the confidence that we need to really hammer out a book is to believe in yourself and to push through it. Okay. Now, do you learn from your experiences? Yes. Right. So you write your first book and it's not like a, you know, it's not a bestseller. Okay. It doesn't mean that you're not a good writer. It doesn't mean that you're suck as writing. What it means is that maybe you have to go back. Maybe your marketing wasn't good enough. Maybe you, you didn't spend enough time promoting your book. 
whatever the case may be. Learn from the message. Learn from your experiences. Don't say I'm a shitty writer and never write again. Learn from the experience and do it again because it may not be the first book that gets you know on the bestseller list, but it could be the second one or even the third one. The trick is just trust yourself. You know what? If you had the intuition or the insight to think that you had something to tell or, or, or a story to share with people, you got to believe in yourself that, you know what? If you had that thought, then it's worth sharing. All you have to do is just put it on paper and get it out there. Well, I guess that was it for today. But before I leave you, I had an idea that I would like to share with you. I was thinking that since I'm already getting emails from the Right to be Read podcast listeners who have already written their first book and self-published it thanks to the podcast, I would love actually to have a special episode about those people and follow their journey and see how they wrote the book and what were the struggles and what were the easy parts and how did the podcast help. So if you are one of those people and if you would like to be featured on the Right to be Right podcast, special episode about our listeners success just you know email me at annie at anniealexander.com annie spelled a-n-i and i would be more than happy to have a chat with you and include you in the podcast interview so as always i hope you're going to have a perfect creative and productive week also don't forget to Follow me on blab at anialexander.com backward slash blab and I'll meet you in the next episode.